Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. This morning, I want to be in several places, uh, all of them briefly, but uh, this is a, a rather scriptural well, scripturally uh, diverse message. But as we get started, uh, I want you just, I don't, this is going to sound a little critical, and so I'm just going to let it be what it is. And um, I want you to think about men. I want you to think about men who could fish all night long. Well into the morning when the sun is already out and other people are out on the beach. But they couldn't stay up one hour to pray the night of Jesus' arrest. You see, um, I don't know if you're maybe like me, but it'd be a whole lot easier to stay awake fishing than stay awake praying. And I'm not a real big fisherman. Sometimes it's about perspective. It's about understanding. It's about what drives you. It's about priorities. It's about desire. It's about motivation. And as we've been looking and learning over the last couple of weeks, some things that the Lord has taught, is teaching me, is that prayer, above all other things that it is, prayer is about alignment, learning more about who God is and what God wants and ultimately what God wants from me and for me. And it's the desire for alignment that makes the cross follower fruitful, that makes a prayer life come alive. It's the desire for alignment that brings about the ultimate goal of prayer, which is surrender. And I have said for a while, you know, I hear a lot of pastors talk about the the failure of modern Christianity or Christians' commitment. And I, I just don't think commitment's the problem. And I've said this even recently. Commitment is not a... We're, everybody does, in this country especially, everybody does whatever it is they want to do whenever it is they want to do it. It's not a matter of commitment. The problem isn't commitment. The problem is what we surrender to. And we only know what is appropriate to surrender to by what we're aligned with. And alignment, godly alignment, can only occur through prayer. Surrender, then, as an ultimate goal, has God's glory in view. And all these things we gain by by spending time with God in prayer. And it's so easy to say that, prayer. We should pray. Christians should pray. Let's stand for prayer and we'll go home. Prayer is not about words. It's not about formulas. It's about what's going on in your heart. It's not an event. Prayer isn't an event. It's a lifestyle. Prayer is about time with God, not just time learning. But it's also about leaning. 
And if I could say, you know, we talk about having a personal time with God and what that usually means is reading the Bible for content or reading it for information or reading it for history or reading it for obligation. But the truth is, is spending time, personal time with God, not God's things, not even God's truth, but the presence of God himself. That's where transformation takes place. It's in prayer that we're able to actually get caught up in his glory receive his glory. And a part of this relationship partnership that Christians ought to have with him is learning to develop a love for his glory, a love to be in his glory, a love to see his glory and display his glory. So I would ask this question, if prayer is about alignment and alignment is about surrender and surrender is about God's glory, seeing it, receiving it, displaying it. In your relationship right now, are you developing a love for his glory? I'm not asking you if you're satisfied with your Bible reading time or if you're caught up in your one year through it. What I'm saying is, are you content? Are you developing a love for his glory? Because without a proper prayer life, And I know prayer makes us scratch our head, but without a proper prayer life, you're going to miss, we're going to miss seeing, receiving, and displaying his glory, his his heart, his character, and his love. Now, one of the greatest things that God can give us is the ability to partner with him, the ability to, to live with him, to live for him. Listen, as Christians, and, and really what my, one of my prayers this morning is, is that our eyes won't glaze over as we talk about living for his glory because we have heard that so many times. Everywhere you, every, every preacher, every Christian book, live for his glory, for his glory. We don't even know what that means. But without a proper prayer, we're going to focus on self. I'm telling you, I'm a practitioner of this. Without a proper prayer life, you will only see your life through your perspective. Your, your, your weaknesses, your strengths. You focus on self, and self then becomes self-focus, where you are consumed with only considering your perspective. And self-focus then creates a lifestyle of selfishness and self-reliance. And the problem with self-reliance is it's a blind spot for all of us, and we may actually be suffering from self-reliance and not know it. In self-reliance, you become focused on needs, personal needs. And needs then become wants. And wants become expectations. And expectations become entitlements. And entitlement always creates distance and misunderstanding. And so we begin to evaluate God differently. We begin to ask wrong questions. We begin to ask Uh, who God is based on how we feel instead of who he has declared and revealed himself to be. We begin to process what has God done for me lately instead of what have we done for him lately. We begin to think about how God has glorified us rather than how we are bringing glory to him. Now, I want to stop for a moment, make a very strong, I believe, truthful statement. And I think scripture backs it up everywhere. But everything, everything that God does, he does for one reason. Everything that God does, he does for one reason. And that's for his glory. 
And I think you can look at every story and you can almost look at every verse and see that God has as a goal his glory. So what does it mean to live for God's glory? And I, and I think even, you know, and again, I'm, I'm speaking very humbly, not as one who has attained, as Paul would say, but, you know, it's really easy to hear a message like this and think that it's for everybody else. But my prayer today is that we'll see through that and, and actually humbly receive what God wants our church to hear today. And I want to use three verses, and they're very, very uh, well-known verses. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. And he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the what? Should be behind you. Yeah, to the praise of his glory, to the glory of God. Now wait, for we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, not believe, not trust, be to the praise of his glory. What about 1 Corinthians 10, 31? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do how much of it? All for the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says, So whether we are at home or away, make it your aim to what? Please God. See, over and over we begin to find this. It's not just in these three verses, but in a multitude of verses. The concept is simple, really. We, as Christ followers, as people who have staked a claim in the life and in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ have been bought by that blood. Now, if you want salvation, you do not get to come up with your own terms. The terms of salvation are not yours, and you do not get to pick from the terms as if from a buffet. Here a little, there a little. I want heaven, but no obedience. I want a little bit of this and no that. I don't want any, any uh, you know, requirements. I just want blessing, please. Maybe extra helping of that. It doesn't work this way. Salvation is literally buying back so that if we are saved, now listen, this is, I'm going to say this and, and I mean it the way it sounds. I think the Lord is very, very clear that salvation is buying back. Salvation is buying back. You, if we are Christians, we do not belong to ourselves. It's Jesus who ransomed us. Jesus who purchased us. Jesus made us his. And so now, being his, we are to live lives for his glory. Those are the terms. You can have salvation, but your life now must consist of bringing God his full glory. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not just saved from sin or saved to heaven, but it's saved from all the lies from self. In the first verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul spends several verses that's talking about the gospel. You know, the, the fact that Jesus came and Jesus saved us and Jesus chose us and we are his and sin has separated us from him. But, the, you know, our sin is forgiven in Christ. He talks about the, the splendor and the mystery and the eternal majestic gift of salvation. And then he comes to verse 12. And it's, a, it's kind of a, a, a summation verse. It's a, it's a, a mission statement. 
uh, for Paul and, and ultimately to the church at Ephesus. He says, so what is the purpose of salvation? What is the purpose of redemption? What is the purpose of his, his coming again? So that we might be to the praise of his glory. See, we become the objects of his glory. We become walking, talking testimonies of his glory. People can see us and, and they see how we live and how we process and how we talk, the decisions that we make, the processes that we go through, the fruit that results from all of that. And instead of saying, wow, you are an awesome Christian, they would say and say, wow, God is an awesome God. That's the difference. The difference is who gets the credit. The difference is who is revealed. You know, think about God being a, a God of hope and glory. Listen, if my life can be anything, it's the testimony of a God that is a God of hope and glory. Because if you knew anything about me, you would know that if he can do anything with me, wow, that's a testimony. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, to them, that's he's talking about like Old Testament saints, people who have believed the report. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery which Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now wouldn't it make sense if God were just from time to time to screech through the air and declare his glory and every now and then humanity would have a chance in there maybe, maybe once in every generation to be able to say, whoa, I cannot miss that. But you know what God chooses to reveal his glory to the world? And by the way, his one aim is that the earth be full of his glory. You know where he places his glory? Right inside of you. That's where God placed his hope. Is your revelation of his glory through you. His glory passes right through you. But if you don't spend time with him, we're going to call it prayer. But if you don't have a personal relationship with him, there's, there's no passage through. And you can actually abuse that relationship where you make that relationship solely about you. Receiving instead of reflecting. And so if you live for self, and it's so easy to get into, to think about life from your own perspective instead of his glory. If you live for self, you will begin to value self and you begin to train your mind to only think about self and focus on self. And re what you eventually do is you reflect the mirror. Whatever you're looking on is what you're going to reflect. But if you live for him, I mean truly, then you will begin to value him and you'll begin to reflect his glory. Well, you're reflecting someone. You're always going to reflect someone. Do you reflect your, a better version of yourself, a, a pretend version of you or of him? So here, here's a summation up to now. You will reflect who you spend time with. And you reflect him on the mountaintop or you reflect him in the valley. 
the good days and the bad days. You know, I, one of the things that we have learned recently is there's not a time that you can't display his faithfulness. And I know we always promote good times and, you know, we talk about being blessed, but you know what? There's bad days too. There's times you don't know what you're going to do next. There's times where you just have to completely and utterly surrender to whatever God wants. And I'm telling you, that place of surrender is a place of peace. There's been a few times in my life where I've had to just empty out and say, whatever happens, Lord. And I don't mean in a, in a self-defeating way, but there have been several times in my life. Ministry was one of those. It was unmistakable. This is not what I wanted to do. Just to be quite honest. This isn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to make lots of money. And I was on my way. And the Lord got in the way. And I was miserable. Miserable. And I began to struggle with this discontentment. In fact, fact, Donette and I have been dating for many years. And I remember saying to her, I think we're going to have to break up. And you can imagine her shock and her just so defeated. No, I'm just kidding. She she was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't true either. But I said, well, we're going to have to break up. She said, why? I said, because the path that I thought we were on, I think the Lord is changing my path. I think God's calling me to be a pastor. And she said, well, what would you do if, if you found out I've been struggling? I felt God's calling me to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> uh, we, you know, and, then, and it was like, you know what, Lord, whatever. And we started joking, driving, driving around. We would see every little ramshackle shack and say, that's going to be our parsonage. That's where we're going to live when we're pastoring a church, you know, just little barns out in the middle of a field. Well, that's where we're going to live right there. And you know, we, got to get to a, we had to get to a spot where it's like, Lord, whatever you want for us is what we want for us. Oh, and so many times in our life, I could go on and on and on, and I won't, but, but I definitely, we definitely could. There's been times where I felt God calling me to go somewhere in the world, specifically, and I won't get into all the details of that, but I just felt like, and I don't want to, uh, we didn't want to come here, by the way. <laughs> Uh, we were very content where we were at and the Lord was blessing us there and I won't give you the whole story there, but I remember asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? You want me to go to Russellville? I remember, I have not told this story very much, uh, but I remember uh, Billy Ellis called me. Where is Billy? Oh, I see. Billy called me and Donette and I were actually on vacation and and, uh, I answered the phone, kind of had an inkling that that the call was coming within a few weeks. And he said, uh, hey, we, we were, uh, heard about what's going on you know, in Nashville, and we'd like to see if you'd be interested in giving us a, a, a resume and maybe coming out and being our pastor. And I said, no, no, thank you, and I hung the phone up. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, so you don't even pray anymore? So I called back. I, talk, I called back. Kathy answered the phone. I said, I don't know who I just talked to, but somebody just called me and I had to tell her who I was. And she directed me. I said, give me three days to pray about it. Almost immediately, the Lord began to unlodge, dislodge our hearts where we were. You know, you got, about, you got to be willing to do the things you don't want to do. I going on a mission trip. I remember I felt, I felt 100%, 100% confident that I would die on this trip. But I knew that the Lord was calling me. And I told Donetta, I didn't tell her what I thought, but I just said, what do you think? She said, I think you ought to honor your commitment. So she didn't know, she didn't know that when she said that, I was going to die. 
And so I remember I got down on my knees and I just prayed, Lord, is my blood going to be the thing that unlocks the country for your glory? And I said, yes. And I went. And every day, I'm not kidding you, I took showers at night. I slept in tomorrow's clothes because I thought I was going to get pulled out of my tents. And every night I knew tonight's going to be the night and I would go to sleep just trusting the Lord's going to, whatever happens, whatever happens. On the plane trip home, I thought, I'd, I thought sure, I would die some martyr's death. I didn't know it was going to be a plane crash. I was just convinced that it was it. Whatever happens, Lord. And I know that, you know, through our recent situation we cried and prayed and sought the lord but a peace all the way through and it was like you know what i remember the night that we were telling our kids and we said you know if 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 mom she said if i don't make it out of surgery just know god answered our prayer because we we said lord if we're not going to have a life after this just go ahead and take me i'm ready to go you know and it's like whenever you just release that it's just like there's this what difference does it make now? The Lord's going to receive all the glory. What difference does anything in this world make? Now, I, I, I'll tell you several stories about our encounter. I still have to, I still have to process this every day because sometimes I think to myself, I haven't even prayed about this yet, whatever it might be. I haven't even prayed about it yet. I've become so self-reliant, I can do it. It's just like a struggle. I, we continually go through over and over of having to learn how to say, even if, Lord, even if, you don't save us. My life is for your glory. Our life is for his glory. But I don't want to die for anything short of his glory. So I want to know him. I want to know his character. I want to know what he wants. I want to know what he likes. I want to know his, his nature. I want to know his attributes. I want to know what his will is so that I can know how I need to adjust my will to fit his. That's in alignment. And once you're aligned, you have to choose. Am I going to surrender to that? Now that I'm surrendered to that, Lord, whatever, whatever you want from me, Whatever, it is mountaintops, valleys, doesn't matter. What difference does it make? Either way, if I'm blessed, the world looks around and says, wow, God is good. And if you're crushed and you still have hope, wow, God is sustainingly good. Doesn't matter. Whatever happens in life, when you're surrendered to his glory, he is glorified. I'm a pet peeve of mine, and I apologize for this. But it's like, you know, now that Donetta is doing quite well, you know, and, and, and we are as guilty as anybody else of, oh, man, God is so good. Well, why is God good? Because he gave us what we wanted? No, God's good even if. Right? So, so what, what I say is God has been merciful to incline his ear to us. He gave us what we prayed for. It's his mercy, not his goodness. His goodness was never in jeopardy. Because I've ministered at too many funerals to know that God is only good when you get what you want. Now, God's good on the mountain. God's also good in the valley. Why? Because it's through the valley of the shadow of death I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. It's his presence, his glory manifested and just like the moon reflects the sun we are that reflection to the world around us when people see us they shouldn't see us they should see the reflection of the glory of a god who can 
1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, what Paul is talking about here is eating meat offered to idols in the marketplace. They would sell meat offered to idols. And these young Christians would would see this as contaminated meat, contaminated because it had been through some ritual or some, uh, some pagan ceremony. And so you don't eat that kind of meat. You eat only meat that's not been offered. And Paul was like, it's meat. It doesn't change its texture because it's been in some ritual. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not buying used meat, but whatever. As I digress. But Paul says, whatever you do, if you eat or if you drink, make sure that you're doing it to the glory of God. If you eat that meat, do it to God's glory. If you don't eat it, to God's glory. If you drink it, whatever it may be, for God's glory. If you can't do it for the glory of God, knock it off. Because everything is to be done with the glory of God in mind. And there's going to be some Christians who say, how dare you? How dare you eat meat offered to idols? In that case, that can't be for God's glory because it offends the weaker brother. So don't eat it around them. Everything must be done by faith in the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5.9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, interestingly about this, Paul is not talking about at home or on vacation. Paul is talking about the tent that we live in, this body, whether we're at home in it, alive, or we're absent from it, away, death. Paul's talking about whether we live or whether we die to the glory of God. Faith isn't something that we simply do. It's who we are. If faith becomes compartmentalized, and by that mean, I mean another part of your life, it isn't real. I want you to hear me. You can believe truths about God, the morality even of Christ. And not, so what what is it that we trust? Do we trust that God exists? What does it mean to truly be a Christian? To be a Christ follower means to be imitators of Christ. Not to believe a certain list of things. To call ourselves a Christian, faith cannot become a part of our life. It's a cashing out, a selling out, a a buying out and to the glory of God. And I'm telling you, instead of faith having to be a thousand things that we have to remember, you only have to remember one. How is God receiving glory from me in this moment? Actually, faith is quite simple, but you have to be surrendered which means you have to be in alignment, which means you have to spend time in his presence. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's only one way by which we are capable of living for God's glory, and that is to allow the love of Christ to control us. 
Love in you isn't formed by calling yourself a Christian. Love is formed in you by spending time with him. So we who have believed, we who have said we trust him, we who talk about prayer and Bible study and reading and memorizing, we talk about all the things we do. Paul says whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, do we live for him. Whether we're dead or whether we're alive, whether we're at home or whether we're away, we're to live for him. And that motive for all of it is the love of Christ and his love for us. And where is all of that developed? Prayer. Communed time with him. Where he purifies your processes and your thoughts and bring you into alignment with his character. But you've got to spend time with him, not just with his things. And prayer time at church won't get it. And prayer time in a Bible study class won't get it. And Bible study in a Bible study class ain't going to get it. It's a lifestyle of devotion to him. And if we're conformed by the image of Christ to become like him in this world, multiplied many times over throughout the world by him, then the glory of God becomes our primary concern. Where is their glory for God? You know, Jesus lives and dies by the glory of God. I mean, just a, a quick, Jesus is radically passionate for God's glory. And if you look at the motivation for Jesus, you're not it. I'm not it. I should say we're not it. You are not the motivation. Your salvation is not the motivation. God's glory was Jesus' motivation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus tells his disciples that he seeks God's glory in all that he does. When he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. When Jesus talks about his death on the cross and enduring the cruelty of the cross and the shame, and he begins to point to death, he says he did it all for the glory of God. Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then I heard a voice from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Every act, every word, every moment in the ministry of Jesus is the, for the purpose of glorifying God. Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus calls us. We are called by his name, created for his glory. In Isaiah 43, 7, he says our sins are forgiven uh, by, for his glory, for his namesake. In Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my namesake. I will not remember your sins. That has him as the beneficiary. You're a byproduct. And in uh, John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Why? 
Oh, because I want to be with Jesus. No, no, no. To see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' words are very clear. His ministry is very clear. All things for the glory of the Father. Claim the name of Christ. You claim the mission of Christ. Eat, drink, life, death, all things glory of the Father. I want to close with four practical words. And when I say close, don't get too excited. I'm just kidding. You can be a little bit. I want to give you four quick words. The first word is faith. How do I glorify God with my life? Number one, faith. What does faith mean? Pulled up a verse, Romans 4, 20 and 21 says this. Yet with this talking about Abraham and the faith of Abraham, he's kind of the, you know, the founder, the father of our faith. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. Listen, but grew in faith, strong in faith, giving glory to God. This grew strong in faith and giving glory to God. So one of the primary ways of, of living for the glory of God is being able to live developing and growing strong in our faith. The question is, what does that mean? Faith, faith means believing in, in God's word, not just believing in the written word here, but having daily time with God, hearing from God, processing with God. So you, you look at verses like in the book of Romans when it says, so faith comes by hearing. That word is akuo, which is where we get our word acoustics. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by what? The word of God. Now, faith comes by hearing, and you say, well, you know, I'm, I hear the word of God all the time, and I don't grow in my faith. Well, that's not the word that it's talking about. The word here is the Greek word rhema, which is like that personal word of God to you. Not logos, not logos, that's uh, the written word. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from that personal private time where God speaks directly to you about his character, his nature, and his will for you. If you're not hearing that and all you're hearing is the Logos, you're, you're stalled out. Your faith becomes paralyzed because you, you hear it, but you don't know what to do with it. And, and, and by the way, I am not authorized to tell you what to do with it. It's his word. It's his spirit. You are actually his. All of this belongs to him. So if you're not hearing from him personally, then you can't grow strong in your faith. Now here's the good news. You can still hear from him personally. He's available. In fact, he's the perfect communicator. If you don't hear from him, it's probably not his responsibility. He is a perfect communicator. And he wants you to know. The second way we glorify God is with love. We worship God. This is in uh, Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to, for, to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Now, this verse reflects a lot of things about how we can glorify God, but the relationship is very clear. It's through love. Love That relationship with God that is symbolic of a marriage where there is a spiritual union and, and, and we are married and joined together with God as one. We are his, he is ours. And we glorify God by enjoying a relationship with him. I think a lot of Christians are afraid to encounter an almighty God and probably we ought to be. 
But when we tweak our hearts and we open up to faith and we are surrendered and we are aligned, there is a joy that comes from being in the presence of God. There's something that's illuminated in us that, that brings life out into us when we are in his, and it's, it's joy. It's like, it's like man, um, prayer, Bible study is boring. You know, I got so many other things to do and it's boring. I want somebody, I want, can I just get somebody else to read it to me and somebody else to tell me what it means and somebody else, can I just, can I just that's a whole lot easier. Now it may not be easier, it's still boring, but it's quicker. But you know, when your heart is aligned and your spirit is surrendered and you can see his glory, spending time with him is joyful, like a marriage. Can you imagine, can you imagine looking at your spouse and saying, you are so boring. Some of you can't, some of you can't, but that's a different, that's a different work, workshop. Uh, I mean, I have to spend time with you because it's my obligation, but let me tell you, one, one of the things that, that I think is important is that we enjoy things we find valuable. We enjoy things we find valuable. When you cease to find value in something and when, you're, when it doesn't make you happy anymore, you'll neglect it. And obviously, I'm talking about the Lord. So if you find, if you find value in Him, time with Him will be enjoyable. Not a drudgery, not an obligation. Thirdly, the word obedience. And, and love and obedience, really, for, for, for Jesus, go hand in hand. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before God in such a way that they may see your good works and what? As a, as a culmination of seeing God manifested through your good works, they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus tells his disciples that we bring light into darkness when we do good works before people. Now, good works are not the goal. Glorifying God is the goal. Uh, it stems from faith and love. We glorify God. So Jesus teaches that this truth after speaking on the Beatitudes about what kind of character we should have, you know, uh, humble, gentle, righteous, merciful, pure in heart. And so when we imitate the character of Jesus, we begin to glorify Jesus. When you, when you imitate the character of Jesus, we begin to glorify him. And when we're, when we're loving and we're righteous in a world that has absolutely lost its mind, when you have the freedom to speak hate and evil, and you may even be right, but when you choose rather love, they may look at you and say, you know what, you're a Christian and you are right. But man, I want to be known for being the Christian that is loving a, a, a Christian, and again, not tolerant, not even accepting, but, but a Christian that reflects Jesus, not just Jesus's morality. We're to flee sexually. This is, this is just a, a, a quick list of reflecting Jesus, right? We flee sexual immorality and glorify God in our body, right? So we flee sexual immorality we said yes to that, flee sexual immorality, and the Bible, and Paul says to the church at Corinth that we glorify God with our body, glorifying God by being humble and striving to be of the same mind of one another, to find agreement with one another, to be able to listen to one another and love one another. In Romans chapter 15, he says that's how we glorify 
for a glorified God. We're to have love abound toward one another. This is in Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11. It says, we have love abound for one another, approve things which are good and be filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory of God. First Peter chapter two, verse 12. Peter says that we are to have excellent behavior so that others can see our good deeds and glorify God. So we begin to find through the life of Jesus and the discipleship of the apostles that love equals obedience. And we have to understand the relationship between love and obedience. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 31. So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we move from faith to love to obedience. Now listen, we live in a world that loves loving God. You talk about loving God, everybody says, well, I love God, love people. You know that, love God, love people. That's what we should do, just love God, love people. But when you start talking about loving God is obeying God, the crowd starts shrinking. I want to love God, but I don't want to obey God. I appreciate God, but I maybe not love him. I believe in God, but I don't love him. If love is obedience. I'm telling you, in a world where people claim to love God, I'm afraid we're not aligned with him very well. Finally, glorifying God is a, as a witness. Now listen, we, we proclaim what we glorify. It's our, it's our natural response. Whatever, whatever is in our heart, come out our mouth. Psalm 145, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Now, you know as well as I do, there are so many verses that talk about our witness and, and our words being the overflow of our hearts. And it, and it works this way. It's like you move from, from faith. Am I going to believe God's plan for my life? Am I going to surrender to God's plan for my life? And am I going to trust it and step out in faith? Am I going to love him, be devoted to him, Spend time with him. Enjoy his presence. I mean, like, like, like as if he is a real person. Am I going to enjoy him? And not just believe him. Am I going to move from that and, and move out of that joy where as with a, a spouse, it is a joy to serve. It is a joy to serve. And out of that, we begin to obey him in a completely, in a relational way instead of an obligatory way. And I'm telling you, that will always bring, when you find finding joy in him and you're walking in his truth, it will be on your lips. It'll be on your lips. And so, you know, though this is a little bit cute, but just so you can remember, how can I glorify God? You let his glory flow through you. Faith, love, obedience, witness. How do I glorify God? You better make sure his glory is flowing.
See it, receive it, reveal it. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. I know you have this memorized. It says, at the end of the age, when all is said and done and we bask in eternity, God's promises that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And I believe we as Christians should long for the day where the earth and the fullness thereof is full of the glory of God. It is our chief aim. It's the chief aim of man. Is to ask ourselves to get into the habit of asking ourselves, where is the glory of God from me in this moment? How would I imitate Christ in this moment? Line up with him, surrender to him, and love his glory. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask that you would help us. Sometimes we get really caught up on the purpose of prayer and we get caught up on how to pray right and you know, writing up formulas and it becomes more about math than it does about a relationship. So I pray we would just put all the complications down, all the formulas, and just learn to communicate, to commune, to commune with you and you with us as we open up your word, not just to read for chapter's sake or information's sake or obligation, but we begin to read your word to see your heart, to see your faithfulness, to see your will accomplished, to see what it is that causes you pleasure, what it is that brings you glory. And then as you begin to speak that into our life, Lord, we begin to come to life because we can magnify that glory as we walk and as we go. Lord, it's so easy for us to get tripped up, distractions, obstacles, diagnoses, bad news, all sorts of things trip us up and make us go back to muscle memory and we, get, we, we, we start trying to you know, pull our boots up uh, our own. We try to you know, become self-reliant and self-made men and women and and we get into such bad habits and bad habits create faulty thinking and faulty thinking create worse habits and before long we're taking on the name of Christ but denying the power form of godliness but deny the power we don't want to be a people Lord who shrink back we don't want to be a people who who make lip service men pleasers we want to be like Christ, fully devoted to the glory of God. So Lord, this morning I pray that you would break us. We don't need a reminder. We need broken. We need, we need repentance. We don't need a, a reminder. So Lord, help us as we leave this place not to leave better. Help us to leave changed. Help me to leave changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? I'll tell you what we're going to do this morning. I want, I want us just to give, I want to just give a, a moment or two. I want us just to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us just to spend a moment 
in, in personal prayer and just asking the Lord to illuminate our lives, our minds, our hearts. Lord, show me in me where I'm not devoted to you. Show me what is causing me to keep distance. God establishes our boundaries. God orders our steps. There is not a person in this room right now that is in any type of situation where you are prevented from bringing God glory. It does not escape his ability to redeem and to restore. It does take our alignment. So this morning, I want you just to, let's just pray for a moment. Maybe part of your prayer needs to be making a commitment that you're going to be more intentional in your personal prayer life. If you need help establishing habits, I want to talk to you about that. If you need accountability, we can talk about that. If everything that I've talked about today is foreign to you and you said yes to Jesus but have never taken another step into his presence, let's talk about that. There's more. Oh, there is more. Have your way with us, Lord. We love you and we thank you for choosing us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for your sovereignty and your faithfulness to us. Thank you for allowing your light to shine through us for your glory. May you receive all the glory, honor, and blessing as we pour our life out for you. Thank you for rescuing us, renewing us daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.